Hey everybody, Alex here. Uh, Just a quick follow-up on the Amish dating website controversy because we forgot to address it on the show. And it sounds like, after doing some research, that Amish online dating with hyphens is probably a joke site. Uh, You have the option of choosing between I am ye bonnet, I am ye beard, or I am ye rung springer. And uh, see, then you can seek a beard, a bonnet, or a rum springer, uh, which doesn't seem very serious. And they're featured on collegehumor.com. But it also seems like, it, you know, oh, when, when, you, when you go through, it redirects you to livedating.me. So I guess maybe it technically works, but it, that's the kind of abuse the Amish have to endure when they're using the internet for the first time is they might get gagged but there are other more serious websites like amishdating.com so if you are thinking maybe i want a lover who knows how to take care of a horse and i don't want to use the radio again then maybe consider amishdating.com or there are a few other options. There's also an article in The Atlantic about the struggles of Amish dating on the internet. So check that out, plug for that, and let's do the show. Do we have any Do we have any prank calls we could do this week? Um, this is what the people I, want from us. Man. I don't think any of them would end well because we're dealing <laughs> with dicey topics Yo. Uh, that... Um, you know who we should have had on this episode? Who? Dice. <laughs> that would have been great. The dice. Andrew Dice Clay talking about identity politics, privilege politics. Um, Today we have uh, feminist Phoebe Mills Bovey and uh, the Dice Man. And we'll <laughs> 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 be hearing what they all have to say. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is the part where me and Anders make you comfortable, rub your shoulders a little bit. Uh, I'm Alex. Hi. Don't mind my my little fingers there. They're just little little guys. Sonic fingers. <laughs> Sonic uh, fingers. My DJ name. See, uh, this is actually something I want to uh, see if we can invest in. Is I remember, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I seem to remember as a kid I got a tape from the library, a okay. uh, cassette tape. Okay. Star Trek, and they, the tape had a special technology where it could throw sound, so it made it sound like different things were happening in different parts of my room when I was listening to it. It may have just been like a dream that I had about this, but I I kind of think this is a real technology that this 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 sounds like something your ma- your mind created to cover up something bad. An alien abduction. And I don't want to probe into it too much farther in case you unravel and I have to find out how the equipment works. E- Anyway, we are uh, going to have a couple cool guests today. We're, the people are doing kickflips outside the studio here in Punk Alley. That is not a joke. Uh, there are legitimate YOLO punks, and they're kickflipping kick in the back of Punk Alley. That's actually happening, yeah. But the we ceramic, just had... The ceramic shop is closed for safety reasons. <laughs> uh, we just had a, a great interview with uh, Phoebe Maltzbovi and Tim Platt, who's still here hanging. Um, and we're talking... This has been... Here's something in the news, all right, that we don't have to delve into too deeply. Um, Jamie Kilstein, comedian, not a friend of the show. Not a friend. Has been outed as being kind of a... A, a perv an abuser, lord. An abuser. Your word was better. Thank you. Um, very. There were a lot of words that were running through my brain, and I was trying to find the most appropriate one. But, I still uh, don't. You should explain who it I'm is. I'm making light of it, but it's. I don't know who he is. So this guy is, um, was is still, I guess, a comedian who um, kind of takes a an activist uh, aesthetic to. He's covered in tats, very inked, and he talks about a um, lot of very a lot of things, but especially rape culture. Is he's been b- very big on that, um, and he's been outed as being a little abusive to women. Um, and so he, he's somebody who I remember watching when I was like in, in living in Minnesota and I remember seeing like, oh, this guy's doing comedy, but he's got like, wow. 
Jeremy Scale. I'm not even laughing. Yeah, he's got <laughs> right. That was the other thing that like I'm more comfortable seeing now. He's not. This is just like the theater previews of Dirty Wars. It's yeah. It's just not. He's not funny. Which I feel a little more comfortable seeing now. But I, I, I mean, maybe some people listen to this, like Anders Lee, who are you? But uh, not wasn't a huge fan. You're of You're one comedy. of the greats, man. Uh, That's not just anyone saying that. That's me, Alex Patak. In oh man, um, but Jamie Kilstein is kind of an example of something we're talking a little bit about, which is the signaling, right? Signaling that you're um, aware of privilege, that you're a progressively minded person, and therefore you're ethic, ethical, and moral, and that in some ways that kind of can kind of mask um, a shitty predilection you have, or a uh, you know, like if you're a serial abuser, yeah. Which, with my limited understanding of the issue, that's what this guy was? Yeah, he's a... Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that is something that is kind of interesting in comedy, which is like uh, a lot of... I've heard stories about clean comics turning out to be serial killers. Right? Tim, <laughs> are you a clean comic? Yeah. I think I've like I've only started cursing recently, and I, and I feel weird about it. And I definitely had a rule... That, uh, for a while uh, uh, that I wasn't going to curse. Tim has this wonderful new character he's been doing called Dang Man. Oh, sure. That is a great example of this. Would, do, do you want to do Dang Man for us real quick? Can I do Dang Man? Please. Okay, this is this is a character he's called Dang Man. Uh, oh, wow! Pow! 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 Watch out! It's me, Dang Man! I'm a superhero, and thanks to a nuclear accident, I have the power to never curse! Pow! Pow! So if you're an evil villain, you can fuck off! Oh, no. And that... <laughs> it's, it's that he loses... I'm realizing it may not be clear. He, like, loses his powers because he curses. Is that is that clear? Ah. See, so it's not when clear, I saw you do this at an open mic, I laughed the hardest when you explained what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> the joke has a problem. Why don't you get it? <laughs> Dang, man. Yeah. Um, He's working that out. Tim is, Tim is hilarious. So yeah. funny. But, uh, so, I mean... Something we were talking about a little bit uh, just before this um, was, like, toeing the line, right? So there, can, we, can you talk a little bit about this, this issue you have in comedy with people who kind of, like, uh, say they're edgy, but they're, they're trying to provoke a discussion, but really it's not? Yeah, yeah. And we talk about this on the podcast. I think I, br- I bring it up kind of clumsily. And, uh, but the what I'm basically saying is that I... I've always been really interested in what I've found a comedy-specific argument, which is that we are defenders of free speech, that um, that things that are offensive must be said, uh, uh, that there is a, um, a value. There's a specific value in being able to um, go into dark places in front of an audience. Uh-huh. There is a a value in exploring all sides of the human experience because it is the human experience. And so why not explore these things? Um, and I've had difficulty with that because I often find it, I often find that idea promoted by um, comedians who I, f- who I feel are being defensive, I guess is, fair, is, is what I mean to say, is that uh, they're not saying I have an idea that is, complicated and messy and I want to work through it. What they're saying is I like exactly what I'm saying. I don't want to take any criticism of it and um and I'm a hero for would I'm you, a, I'm a hero for that perspective. Would you guys agree this is like the late 90s early 2000s comedian aesthetic? I think it's still around today and I but I also want to say that like as a comedian I've seen people do some stuff that I've had trouble with and a few months later I see the joke that comes out of that and I'm like oh that's a really smart complicated uh, uh, funny idea that I would have dismissed if I just heard the early version of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Working out new jokes sucks uh, because sometimes it turns out that you're Hitler and um, no one wants to be Hitler. Some people do. Some people do, Anders. Um, <laughs> Nazis, I would Nazis say. Nazis do want to be Hitler. Hitler. Uh, um, well, but if, that, if the uh, idea behind the joke is a Nazi idea uh-huh. some people you do but use maybe you defense. thought it was a good idea and you did not see it coming 
By the way, there's going to be a few, like, S-class puns on this podcast, so keep a sharp ear out for those, because they're coming. So just to fill out the idea I was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because, this, I mean, this is something I do think it's interesting, and we said this before, it's like the idea as a joke, as a communicator of truth, often a communicator of complicated truth, but also being something flimsy enough that can be laughed off or brushed aside if the idea communicated is offensive or hurtful to someone. You know, that the, that the joke has these two perspectives. I guess that, that's what I always mean. Whenever, right. uh, Not necessarily that someone is saying something I don't like, but when I, I often hear proponents of that idea saying the joke is a bearer of truth and that must be respected, but also the joke is something that you should not take seriously enough to care about if you are so offended. I right. think that might be a clearer way of focusing on the thing that I struggle with and have a trouble with. Is that, is that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, what do you think about... Uh, punch up punch down that whole dichotomy is that because yeah yeah i don't necessarily think you punch anybody really but yeah i mean personally as a comedian i don't i don't really punch anyone usually yeah um you know i guess i'd say i'm a proponent of punch (laughs) of like punch up than down but i also have a personal not issue just uh I'm not a big – I've also critiqued the idea of the comedian as, like, as punching anyone. You know, the idea that, like, we you are – have to be mean and – yeah. That – because there are definitely comedians who that do that really, really well and comedians who are pushing for aggressive truth. But I don't think that is any way bigger than the idea of comedy. I think it's a small part of comedy That's or one part of comedy. partially, though, like a style thing. Like, your style yeah. is, like, heavy absurdism. Would you concede that? I would – I would concede that. I would concede I would promote on that. Air. I would promote that. Um, I I I feel uncomfortable with some punching down um, that I see. As much as I would like to not subscribe to this terrible metaphor, but uh, anytime I see anyone with a homeless bit, it doesn't matter what your extra edgy take is. It's almost ninety nine percent of the time just like, man, they don't have a home. Yeah. <laughs> Leave them alone. Yeah. Uh, who is it? You know, I'm not going to call her out on air or whatever, but I know somebody who I thought was very funny do this very long bit that was essentially like, this homeless guy's jacket was gross for like six full minutes or something at a show, and the audience wasn't buying it, so she doubled down. It was like one of the hardest things I've had to sit through recently in some time. And, and that is when, when comics double down on an audience being kind of grossed out by well, some, what... Sometimes it works. The double down? The double down. See, this is why the two microphones is difficult. We already unplugged our other microphones, audience. That's what happened. For, uh, well, yeah, right now. but that is... We're ca- passing them off like like, like batons. Like double night. downs at KFC. But, uh, um... God damn it. <laughs> so, the, something I have seen a lot is when people, like, they offend the crowd, right? And, and you can kind of use that to mask just having a shitty joke is being like oh well you guys are uptight brooklyn people and you don't it's it's that thing you hear a lot is the oh too real yeah untighten your buttholes audience you know i fucking hate that is that is that too real because it's often like no just like you said an (laughs) idea that i that either is not funny or i disagree with or is incomplete you know you made you made everyone sad but on the other hand i don't want to reward you that's a real. That's a thing too. But it's. I've also seen. I remember this guy, uh, Brandon Busey, has a good bit about how um, roofies are misused because they can be used to on uh, rapey guys. So if a guy's acting rapey, slip him a roofie. It's a good bit. And as soon as he says, Hot bit. yeah, I remember being at a mic, and as soon as he st- says the word roofie, this person in front of me was just like, oh. Wow. Seriously? And like that's the danger of the word, I guess. Yeah, and that and I think there are and this is kind of something we're touching on in the interview is just by virtue of bringing up something that um a lot of that people go in a very awful direction with just by virtue of presenting that without saying before you can even give your um take on it, it that that people are uncomfortable with that conversation just by virtue of you bringing it up. You know, that's like the uh, you have to know you're going into there. That's like you have to if you're doing a 9-11 joke, it has to be a very good original idea that is not done the wrong way. 
this is a this is something we were saying before. Like there there are loaded ideas. There are loaded words. You know, there are words that you know make people like feel cheese ways. crust. Cheese crust. Uh, can't stand this stuff. But there are loaded ideas, and you can sort of smell when someone drops one of those for the uh, the titillation and the joy of creating that feeling of uh, discomfort or load or like the idea of tapping into a loaded word. And then you can smell when someone has something they want to say, and they know that the that to use that word is going to help them get them closer to a truth. And maybe, the, and actually, I will say flat out that maybe I'm just trying like, to find my tastes in a way, in a, with, like, a, with a broader philosophy. Mm. So maybe this is just, ends up just being a taste argument mm. for me, but I am trying to grapple on how these, how that, how these arguments are used in comedy. You, you know seem I mean? almost like you're in the middle of a crisis today, Tim. You're like really tackling the philosophy of your comedy. Uh, yeah, I think about this stuff all the time. Like, I, 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 this is this is also another thing. Like, I've you've seen me do stuff. I'm very specific. Like, it's not. It's I've like tried to think a lot about why I do things the way I do it. You know, if I could do it a different way, I would. You know, like uh, how much of it is because you're a white male? A lot. Yeah, a lot. I'll say that. Is it because you're a Sith Lord? It's because I'm a Sith Lord. Sith- <laughs> It's because I'm, oh, I'm even more worse. Wow. Um, but, I would like to clarify. Okay. Wait, no, no, Tim, do you have any? I will say, and I'm like, I'm willing to hear all these, Chris, and there's so many other different perspectives on comedy than mine. Um, but, you know, I, I, as like a straight white man who is like, doesn't have firm ideas about a lot of issues, I don't feel that comfortable going on stage and write, and talking about my take on the world or my take on a political issue or my take on a on a celebrity like uh part of it that's personal but part of that but part of the reason that i don't dive into that stuff on stage is because i'm like well what would i come up with is it something that i think is worth putting in the world is it something i think is funny even yeah so that is something i think about right and that's i mean i i don't really do that much political stuff either you yeah. know and that's and I think that just the nature of it is hard to make funny. Uh, not only that, it's hard to make it new and like a f- give a fresh thing. Um, although I don't know, I don't think there are a lot of like Marxist comics out there. But like that's it, the that's big struggle is being be funny. new and funny. Yeah, because everybody knows Donald Trump's hair is funny, but we've all said it, so there's no value to you saying it again. Uh, and that has been the plague of the open mic community this year, for sure. I haven't seen too many people. It's Trump gotten jokes. a lot better now. I mean, January, December was. Well, I feel like the general thing hasn't necessarily about. Yeah, it's been about <laughs> this. That we're in a disaster. It's not necessarily about Trump. It's about this is, this shit just got dark. You know, in shit's the dark, world. yo. Yeah. Uh, so it's more about the current mood than Trump himself. Can I add that earlier when I said cheese crust, it wasn't because cheese crusts make me triggered or upset. It's loaded It's with because cheese. they're loaded with yeah. cheese. I wanted that to be we got clear. That. Yep. All right. Well, I think we've really tackled everything, and we're ready to head into the interview. Uh, let's do it, team. One, two, three, uh, left jazz. Thank you for tuning in to Left Jest. Anders Lee here with my co-host Alex Batak. Hello. We are joined this week by a couple special guests. We got the very funny Tim Platt. Hello. Thanks for joining us, Tim. And we're also very uh, privileged to be joined by the esteemed Phoebe Maltzbovi, who has just written a book. I think this thing's going to be a real hit. So keep your eyes out for the perils of privilege, quote-unquote privilege. Yes, because it's the idea. Hi, I'm Phoebe. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yes, it, the quotes are because it's about the idea of privilege. I don't actually think it is perilous to be privileged. Yeah. All right. So. Well, I don't think we need to address it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you... So when you're saying the title of the book, um, do you use air quotes with I your fingers? I haven't had much opportunity to say the title yet, but okay. um, I just ignore the punctuation. Gotcha. Yeah. We've had to... See, last week we had socialism dot, 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 seriously. As, Which uh, was a book that came out in 2015. Yeah. And this so is going to be out... That was our late book. This uh, is coming release. to a, a bookstore near you very shortly. Um, I was, I actually was lucky enough to get an advanced copy. I was walking around here in punk alley in kind of a crap mood and I was in You should have seen Anders that day. It's, it's, the seas were dark. Yeah. You can't tell. I mean, you know, it's hard to tell from the outside, but I, you know, was feeling bad, but I also had this kind of thing where it's like, I'm in a crap mood, but I also feel bad that I'm in a crap mood. I feel like I don't have a right to be in a bad mood and then i pick up this book and it's like oh this is addressing exactly that his Um, face lit up (laughs) before he was like a sailor who finds out there's a ghost on his ship and he just feels so blessed to have a ship that nothing could steer him wrong from there but just haunted dogged and then he picks up this manuscript and the cheeks perk up a lot of shipless people in the world still um too many but on the grand ship of privilege <laughs> right uh basically so I, I mean when it comes to the the actual word itself that's it, yeah. it, it's kind of um would you say it's basically an unearned advantage yes it? mm-hmm. it's an unearned advantage um if it isn't specified what type people will still generally think it means just wealth and social connections uh-huh so um, what made you want to write this book um, well, a whole bunch of different things. Um, I'd had so it started just um, with interactions I'd had um, where people would mainly even like in high school would sort of check one. They they didn't use the expression "check your privilege," but they would accuse other people of being kind of fancy, and then you would go to their house and see that it's super super fancy. Um. And it was that sort of interaction that gave me the idea of that dynamic. And then I just saw this type of interaction really explode online did you ever hear like you fancy huh no that was before you fancy huh um, what, what it must have been it was it's like a cool way to say like privilege but it's like oh you fancy huh? Uh, oh you yeah get, maybe okay. you fancy huh it was the huh part that kind of threw me but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the you fancy part yes i've heard that not oh, the personally mm. directed at me but i know the expression look at right. you remember that seinfeld episode where elaine's got fancy shoes She's like look at you Botticelli. Uh, Botticelli. See, this is this is my generation here i'm really i get that <laughs> uh but the, well i mean before th- this time i mean privilege has always kind of had a uh, a role in the culture and you mentioned the book like politicians love bragging about mm-hmm. their their humble roots mm-hmm. um but there has been kind of a shift within the past few years where it has um taken on a new role the perception has changed and it's become its own like sort of lens Yes. Right of interpreting, and when do you think that shift kind of started to to happen? Not to boil it all down to one date or moment. But. Um, I would say the recession really okay. um, would have been the time that it started to be. I mean, there were articles I remember, like in the style section of the New York Times, about rich people buying fancy stuff, but putting it in like a brown paper bag and all of this. So that general sense, even among people who aren't especially rich or privileged, that that's embarrassing, sort of picked up around then yeah right. like you want to go chandelier shopping but you don't want people to know you're buying a chandelier and you put it in a brown bag yeah apparently home. yeah apparently. something i remember around that time too is it uh they did this sort of expose about how much celebrities spend on jeans and white t-shirts and how that's mm. like 10 times more expensive than <laughs> like just a fancy outfit that's silly because yeah. white t-shirts are gonna look like white t-shirts no matter how you no matter how you scrub it I, I have a question. Uh, in, in when talking about privilege in this way, like in, in using uh, uh, in this cultural context, how connected is that word to what you said, like the idea of check your privilege? Because when, mm-hmm. when I think of those words, I'm thinking of the, the same lexicon. We're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Is that is that fair to say? I think generally, I think um, in this context, there's always 
the, the idea of privilege is very connected with the idea that everybody should be keeping track of their own and perhaps everybody else's all the time. Oh, that's interesting. The idea that, like, because I haven't thought of it like that, that, like, it is sort of checking other people's as well as yourselves. As, oh, as, as I think own? it's actually checking your own has a lot going for it. I think it's a great idea to sort of be aware, be self-aware. There's nothing wrong with being self-aware, but I think, yeah, when I hear check your privilege, I think of it as one person checking another's privilege, especially when it's a form of privilege they also have. So it's like I've identified a privilege for you, and now I'm saying to you, you have to, you must identify what I have already identified, sort of. Um, not exactly. More like if there's two people, both are men. One tells the other to check his male privilege, bro, as if, yes, yeah. as if he does not have the same one. Yeah, or you're just, yeah, you're a per. That's something that I feel like has happened a lot in comedy, and my comedy used to absolutely be this way, um, which is like, hey, listen. I'm a white guy, but I'm not like the other white guys, okay? I get it, and it's really frustrating to be around people who don't get it, you know? And that part of this is almost a direct quote from one of your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but so, are you making fun of that concept, or are you earnestly saying that? He's just talking about him, like himself. Uh, well, just I don't want to do your joke, even though I practice it in the mirror every night. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the. Uh, this there's this kind of trope of like the good like the only way for a long time it's seen that uh white people white you know white guys can address privilege in uh on stage comedically is to totally take the like i'm above this you know like, like louis ck sometimes kinda, yeah, yeah yeah like him and but something that's uh great about him too is you know it, i think it, there's a lot more funny stuff a lot more honest stuff in that kind of in-between area where it's like i don't i'm not a perfect person you know like i mm -hmm. i am i'm gonna have blind spots and that's i'm gonna be you know like louis and there are things about being a man that are shitty too and like his bit about how that woman uh like wanted him to like basically rape her and he was like i'm not gonna do that you know like it's a confusing place for us to be in and, and sort of this having this pretense to like just being a, a white, you know, just being above your own privilege is kind of a bat packy version of comedy. Would you, know? would you feel more comfortable doing Louis' joke on air? D verbatim? Yeah. Um, I would be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Let this happen. <laughs> I, well, you could just play a clip from him and you guys could be like, wow, Anders, you do yeah. a really good Louis C.K. <laughs> like, what are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> You think I'm just going to rape you on the off chance that hopefully you're into that shit? Uh, we'll do that. That'll be fine. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not we're not taking a... No one here uh, is taking a right-wing tack and saying that this stuff needs to be dismissed right. or disregarded. Right, I think that's important, um, and that's something I want to make clear about yeah. my book because... There are people who are dismissing sort of privilege checking for what I think are really the wrong reasons, and those would be right-wing reasons that involve not thinking that there actually is systemic inequality, not thinking that wealth inequality is a problem or that it exists or things like that. So that's not – I'm not challenging any of that. It's really more just the dynamic of privilege checking and thinking, yeah, in terms of – like that. It's a careful discussion of the thin line of appropriate use of reflecting on your privilege and the opposite side of the spectrum of no one should talk about privilege because we don't want to bring up these issues, uh, which is where the right wing attack comes from. Yeah, they just don't want to think about it. Or but, they just have their own version of it where right. where they are, you know, where like the Trump voter is the true victim, mm -hmm. even if it's a very wealthy Trump voter, doesn't matter, true victim. Free speech under assault, college campuses. Well, it's such an inversion of, like, classical conservatism, right? Like, if you think, like, the William F. Buckley type thing, like, privilege was the extension of your line extending into the power of today. You know, your family has the right blood and has for the right generations, and thus is your right and power, therefore. And, uh, that, <laughs> that, that's just, um, 
like this whole thesis of checking your privilege because it is wrong for you to assert yourself over other people is the exact opposite of that whole ideology. Yeah. Um, so it's like a weird scrappy battle on both sides where there's very blurred lines on what anyone wants from this. Right, right. And I think that's uh, something that I am starting to see more of now and hopefully this book will contribute to this too is like what are the actual goals of people who practice privileged politics and is the way it's being practiced now actually helping them achieve that goals or is it kind of mm-hmm. stagnating things oh is that a question uh yeah sure. or well, is okay. it would is you it? would sure. you concur um, yeah well i <laughs> we're I all concur. doing about buckley voice that is agreed <laughs> oh boy i don't know if that works with a woman's voice but uh <laughs> So, let's see. Well, um, you can start with I'd say. That's a good start. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> where were we? Oh, right. Um, I think that people have different goals when privilege checking. I think sometimes it, if especially if you personally are a member of a group that's been, that somebody said something offensive about, and you're speaking up for yourself, you're genuinely upset, and you say, check your privilege. I think that's fine. Whether or not it's the most effective approach is kind of beside the point but i think that when people get in these sort of battles for their own sake i think it's often very much about trying to show that you're the good one Mm -hmm. and it's or it's about jealousy it can be about all different sorts of things um and i think that the goal isn't necessarily social justice even when that's kind of the implicitly underlying goal right uh I, i feel like uh uh I feel like I'm trying because not I'm, I'm I'm hearing this conversation. I'm trying to think about times when I've heard that phrase or had that phrase used, or just like been in, uh, um, been in the type of conversations where uh, uh, it would be appropriate to say that uh, to say check your privilege or to use different terms of communicating the same goal. I feel like personally, more often than not, if those types of sentiments have been thrown at me, they've been done in like a respectful way and in a way I appreciate. It. I feel like I haven't been. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, this word's loaded now, but I feel like I haven't been a victim of of a time when I feel like that was unfairly used against me. Like yeah. I've seen it used in mostly online conversations when I get and like I'll have like a peaked interest of like, oh that's fair, or 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 I'll have that feeling of like oh that someone used that word there, but I actually feel like that was a missing of the point, which can be challenged as well. But I do feel like personally and like in conversation. Right. I don't feel like I have been um I don't feel like that word that word or that sentiment has been unfairly used against me. Though uh-huh. though it has. Do you guys feel the same way? Do you guys feel like it's well, been unfairly used against you at some point? I would say um it's it's gonna come up if you're involved in like serious discussions, usually political discussions. Uh and I think the times when it is the most unfair is when it is a whole context maybe taken out of uh taken like out of out of your hands so a, a good example last week so again i run the stupid open mic after we record the podcast on thursdays it's down the street uh the place next to where we run it used to be a hostel for like weird french children who would come in and do drugs uh not anymore now it is elderly homeless men it's a homeless shelter uh which you know i'm glad is there because the homeless problem in new york is crazy but also it's next to the place where i run all these shows so they all like wander into the show um and last week, this guy came in who was like, he was like an old black guy and he was like clearly drunk or whatever and he was muttering to himself. And he's actually come in for three weeks and he's kind of made the mic better some of the other weeks because he's like heckling people, but it's like this fun mystery. Elderly. Yeah, he interrupted my set last yeah. week. Um, I appreciated it. Last week, I think you were the only one who appreciated it because he would not leave or shut up. And, uh, they had somebody took this picture of, I, I think, my friend John on stage. And I'm in the front trying to, like, get this guy away because he keeps raving at people and kind of ruining the show. And uh, I had some check your privileges lobbed at me on the Internet from that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and of course, people are going to say to that. And that's like, an unfair use of that because I'm not this isn't a discussion with a friend I'm having. I'm just like taking a guy out of a thing he's ruining. Right. And yeah, I mean, what people are going to say to that is like, OK, well. Uh, you're focusing on that rather than homelessness or whatever. Uh, Are people saying that? <laughs> no, but that's just I, well. What the the point I, I guess I'm trying to make is, uh, it's one thing to say that being 
uh, being a white guy who's checked and and like uh, told to you know your, to check your privilege and stuff that that is the most pressing, uh, terrible thing that's happening in the society. You know, and of course it's not. We're not the priority, but uh, I think to to actually accomplish a lot of the goals uh, of I think I guess the left. You know, of, of like having less inequality. Then you have to look at how effective is this to to um, be the first to to constantly on this to the callout culture to be a, a participant in callout culture, um, and something I mean I, something I've found and I always th- try to think about like uh, white fragility and that goes in hand in hand with that is like people will if you if you say to c- certain people like you know you're just kind of being. Uh, unreasonable about this or you're you know reducing my ideas to my whiteness or whatever um they say oh well that's white fragility and you're not the you're not the the issue right here um but i i have found that like i've had uh my privilege checked by people with way different ideas so i remember uh i would get people who are politically radical saying like oh you believe in reformism because you uh, are from the middle class and you uh, like Ed, like when we had Ed on, right? Yeah, you can you can dismiss it. You can dismiss someone's politics solely on who they are, you know. And I've also had from the other side people say like, "Oh, you're too radical," and that's because hmm. you are privileged and therefore um, you don't want you don't you're not as reformist as I am. Uh, so it's just kind of like you can use that card, and it doesn't really further any argument it's just kind of a way to dismiss someone in an ad hominem way that again is that that i mean uh because i'm such a swell mature guy i'm able to shrug it off Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people out there who if they're being told to uh constantly check their white privilege while they're working three jobs and their kids like don't have insurance and stuff they're not going to take that too well oh so i have a million thoughts on all of this and we'll try to restrict it to like two one is two million just two <laughs> for now wow. um so i think one thing is just to distinguish between like friends telling you like um to t- to check your privilege and strangers on the internet i think if it's a friend and they mean well and they wish you well and they're trying to sort of and everybody's just trying to make everybody else a better person something like that it's less likely to be like a sort of pylon or anything like that and it, you you're more likely to come away from an interaction thinking huh i just said something kind of rude and now i get it um in terms of um with the uh, ad hominem sort thought. of like taking somebody's oh right identity I think, um in terms of politics right yeah. so i think that any political stance can be attributed to privilege and that's why right. and it can even be accurately attributed to privilege which is why um I don't think that's usually a very helpful explanation because um, these arguments just always, this happened a lot um, in the presidential primaries um, and just sort of like, oh, you like this one because you're privileged. Oh, no, you like that one because you're privileged. Both might be true, but um, what do you do with that? Right. This this seems like the uh, logical outcome and the, the, the uh, issue that's always tied to is identity politics. So, like, weaponized identity politics, getting someone to stop talking because you do not like them or you do not think they have the right to speak on this issue. Um, I guess to Phoebe, uh, I just uh, would like to know, like, uh, when do you think are, like, good times to or a, a better time to bring up uh, this kind of ish, issue of you your thoughts need more self-examination before you go out with them or uh and when do you when when do you think it's used as kind of just like a hammer to get someone to shut up okay well i think um first of all i think it's a little different from identity politics because i think it's more about people who are all of them white or male or middle class or something like that kind of just talking amongst themselves and trying to sort of jockey for position it's not really quite the same as like because i i'm not against identity politics it's sort of i think a different thing um in terms of when i think that just the whole emphasis on self-examination should be sort of lessened i think that getting people to truly truly understand their privilege is futile and a lot of people understand it and just want to keep it so that that focus is just kind of um misguided i think if somebody says something racist you say 
that was racist and that's clear and you don't need them to like sit and ponder their white privilege mm -hmm. is this just do we just need more time for meditation in our culture like should this just be a thing <laughs> unsaid where everyone just hey think before you talk more yeah <laughs> huh <laughs> well that i mean that is some like uh there are some points though where like the language is constantly changing and things are evolving to the point where um you can kind of what would i want to ask i guess about the word racist because mm -hmm. in some ways you can use that and you can stretch that pretty thin um so if, for instance is something like i remember i was talking to an old guy in minnesota once and he uh, referred to asian people as oriental and uh, this buzzer went off in my brain it was like uh excuse me you know but it's like at the at the end of that is that really i mean from his context and where he's coming from is that racist or is you know like how okay. how clear does it have to do, do we need a higher standard for what we call racist well i think racist can be is is more useful a term to use than privileged just because it gets at what you're talking about as for this other question of whether if somebody says something inadvertently racist i think you just have to go case by case if you think there's right. anything to be gained you have to think of you know or will somebody feel are you doing somebody a service by telling them that sort of terminology has changed or are you just kind of gratuitously like are, you have to figure out just for each situation is the point more um showing off that you know or is it more you know like are there actually asian people around who are going to be offended and everybody will be hurt, and you're actually saving people hurt. So right. for the case of this old Minnesota man, how many times can you get him to say Asian instead of Oriental before he dies? Uh, and are you willing to put in the man hours to make that <laughs> conversion happen and overturn the 1940s? I think there's probably more on his bucket list than learning, you know, the most up-to-date... Uh, <laughs> No I would love to be the guy who's like cleared the bucket list and now just wants to stop offending people. <laughs> it's been such a rough ride to hear. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I feel like that brings up a pretty like sticky question uh, in terms of like how you um how your politics uh, interact with others, uh, uh, right? And what you choose to speak on because you know we can call that softer racism or microaggression but it doesn't change how it affects uh, uh people you know like it, 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 for for someone i'm a white man if i hear that the same things can happen to me happen to you it'll be a buzz in my head being like no 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 but i could move on easily do you right. know what I mean? um so i wonder like but then i i hear what you say too like if that's what you jump on then there's a sort of it's kind of like what you were saying before it's like we're just people of the same uh, or another white man called another white man privileged or has a sticky thing. I guess what what I am wondering or what, what I'm trying to address right now is, you know, if you have, if you are in a situation where something can offend your sensibilities but not offend you personally, you know, where do you, how do you use it to the advantage of an actual conversation, you know? Does that make sense? I'm yeah, sure. I mean, I think one thing to do is just not, make it about an individual's privilege like not to tell this old man that he is so privileged and tell him how much easier he has it than asian americans which becomes some kind of huge discussion where he's meant to sit and really ponder this and it could be a pretty quick discussion if you wanted to bring it up of just like you know that's a sort of outdated term right yeah 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 and then come to think of it another anecdote uh i remember my grandma called someone colored my uh, very quickly my mom was mm -hmm. like oh you don't say that anymore that's a new thing you spend a lot of time with the elderly and i appreciate that about you that, that was my social life for a while but uh i so but turning to something um that i found really interesting in the book you have a whole chapter about bizarro privilege where it's um basically uh it's privilege, but it's like stark white, and instead of an S, it's like a B. E oh yeah, yeah. and it, it exists in another universe. Mm -hmm. and, um, but uh, <laughs> he's referencing the villain Bizarro from the Superman. Lexicon. It's not related to that. This is not related to that. 
Superman is actually a pretty interesting figure He's in this. He's the most privileged. But is he? Because he Even also is an alien. Even though his parents died. His Even parents though died. his parents died. And he feels freakish. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, so I mean that's a good example actually because he doesn't fit in. He he doesn't <laughs> he have anybody. Fly. He has unearned he can, advantages. Yeah, so many <laughs> he does. So many. But it's like he also doesn't grow up with peers who he can relate to. You know, that's not. I'm not easy. giving a dude who can fly any leeway. All right, <laughs> he can fly. It's interesting, you know. <laughs> he how... knew, well, he, well, here's the thing: if Superman in was alive and he was talking about flying. Um, people would say, maybe some people, your flying, your flight privilege is showing, Superman. You need to somehow... I hate you so much. <laughs> Wait, I don't so... even have an answer to that. Well, just... Uh, but that is some, that's something that... Um... It's not a question, it's a movement. And we are all involved. Well, but but the, the your privilege is showing. That's another refrain in the book like uh, you even ac- have an acronym for it ypis right that's the one <laughs> yeah. that's the one i i had heard the most early yeah. on um, right just by virtue yeah. of well i yeah i think what's funny about your privilege is showing is that on the one hand people who support privilege checking will say it's not an accusation it's just fact it's just an observation but obviously if you're saying your privilege is showing it is personal something is demanded of you but it's not clear what yeah is it sort of like the word, uh, when I was in college, I graduated college in 2010, and I remember the word problematic was like a very mm. big word then. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's definitely it's a lot of less so now, right? I feel like that's fair to say. And I f- Well, that's a big call. You, that's a big... People say it. Liberal arts school. Yeah. yeah. I think people say it and, and sort of apologize for saying it almost. I know. Yeah. It seems yeah. a little... Yeah. Well, well yeah. this is sort of like what you were saying yeah. where I remember there was a point in school where I... Where, Oh, that word was sort of unclear. It re- I realized that the word was unclear, you know, mm-hmm. that it's saying there is something that you need to address for that I'm not necessarily going to uh, uh, not help you address, but I'm not going to clarify my problem with right, this before. Right. But I will say there is a problem with this. Do you see it? Um, obviously, people will use it in different ways, but that was sort of when I started clocking it coming up. Do you think privilege and the word privilege uh, um, sort of... Uh, came up behind that word or that sort of rhetorical i'm sure there's other versions of that sort of rhetorical track but um well so i don't know exactly when problematic entered sort of general conversation but i do talk a bit about that word also in the book and i think they are very much interrelated as you say because they're vague and you could say like this is often in like in arts discussions like whether you know a a song or music video Mm -hmm. or a new movie or something is problematic and then it's just sort of implied that you're supposed to know why and right. You might not necessarily. The word literally means there is a problem. Right. And that's and right. Yeah. something if you I don't give it anymore. It's just like, oh, what is it? Uh-huh. Something I've started <laughs> saying is or thinking more is like, yeah, yeah, it is problematic. The, the world is problematic. It's you know, you can go through, but you can really go through the word picnic. Uh, you guys know the history of that? It used to mean pick a n-word and they would hang a, a black person while they I were eating. I did not know that was where picnic came no from. Guy. Right. So is the solution to that to just stop using the word picnic? I mean, it's it's the world. We live in a problematic culture. There's a problematic history. Um, was the we shouldn't the ignore it. this episode to ruin the word picnic for everyone? Because that is what just happened. It ain't going to be a picnic <laughs> when you're listening to Left Jest. I, I, uh, I have a question about that, though. That's something that interests me. I'm, I'm curious what yeah, you think about this, too, because yeah. that is sort of a track that I feel I hear a lot from sort of comedians or comedian culture. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's sort of – which is tied to the idea of of uh, aggressive free speech or free speech. Uh, uh, we, that's a whole different conversation, I, maybe. But I feel that track, the idea is like, yeah, I'm bringing up these hard things, but these hard things um, – it's worth to deal with them at this yeah. moment, and even if you are uncomfortable, there is a reward to this discussion. The reward is usually like a laugh, you know. That I feel like that's sort of uh, uh, a part of that, and maybe maybe you disagree, but there's like we can say whatever we want. You can challenge, uh, but because the world's this way, so we're addressing it, and by listening to us and feeling that feeling that discomfort, you will be rewarded by greater understanding or a laugh, you know. Um, and so I guess what I'm questioning is that, do you feel like that mode is, we're comedians, that's just something mm-hmm. I hear all the time, I feel like I connect that line of argument to the comedy world, do you feel like that 
is outside of that? And do you feel like that's connected to a sort of privilege politics? Was that clear at all? Or did I just sort of word vomit for a bit? Um, I think I... I might be too far from the comedy world to really quite get that. I mean, I think of, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of like what's been in the news lately, like with this Milo and yeah. all of this sort of being yeah. provocative to be provocative and all of that. And I think, I mean, that's the only way I see that relating, I guess, is that there's the kind of like anti PC for its own sake that's taken off and mm -hmm. that kind of, um, that has a sort of pseudo comedy branch, I guess, but that's also, um, these very earnest, like outraged at outrage, think pieces. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answered at all what you were saying. No, no. It, yeah. It's... Want to hear my uh, bullshit theory on comedy premises that I go through before I decide if it's a good one to do? Okay. Okay. Just because this is the Left Chest podcast and I've explained this to Andrews in detail, I will go into it. But um, so, like you were saying, you want to, you know, say something maybe inflammatory or something yeah. interesting that piques interest, and then say do a twist on it or an unexpected take that rewards you with the laugh at the end, right? But then it kind of makes your brain think something new. I think of this as the dialectic. Okay. So any good comedy premise will say something is the same as something else at the same time that it is different than something, something else. In the classic example, white people dance like this. But black people? Black people dance like this. We're all people, and we're just dancing. But those dances? Pretty different. Okay. Yep. And you can boil anything down into that. It's very strange if you think about it too much. A lot of people don't know this, but Karl Marx actually, uh, Capital Volume 4 was supposed to be Das Comedy, and it was about the com comedic dialectics, and that was uh, his central thesis. <laughs> But something I did want to turn to, as well as it, uh, when we're talking about bizarro privilege, um, and something I, I feel like has kind of risen to the surface over the past few months, uh, is there's a lot of nastiness going on right now, especially after the election, directed at white women. And some of it is coming from the left saying, like, hey, you voted for 53%, whatever, voted for Trump. Um, but that it is 53%, and there's a lot to, to say about people all knowing that it's 53% <laughs> so well. But anyway, go Yeah, on. feel free yeah. to expound on that. I've oh, heard no. that statistic. Anyway, go on, go on. Okay. Well, just, I was just going to yeah. say, like, that uh, it's also, there's, in some ways, there's kind of people who are uh, using it to sort of mask their own misogyny from maybe not such a well-intentioned vantage point. Um. Yes, I think so. I write about this in the book, and it has become a big issue, especially like in light of the Women's March um, and all of this. I think, um, yes, that there can be certain critiques of white feminism with the trademark sign that you see a lot online. This sort of like not just feminism of white women, but um, sort of oblivious bourgeois feminism. Um, where it's unclear whether this is coming from the left and aimed at kind of making feminism more um, inclusive or whether it's just kind of like screw feminism, but look how nice a person I am at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and I also just think in terms of that 53% number that what I've seen a lot and what I find very strange is that this is used to say that white feminism screwed up, which perhaps so in one way or another, but that is not a figure that tells you that all of those women are feminists. Right. Those are all women. Yeah. They're not necessarily all feminists. It's In so fact, hard probably to, not. <laughs> it's so hard to quantify any of this data without actual tangible movements in play. So the internet's full of feminists and it's full of intersectional feminists and it's full of, you know, maybe problematic white feminists, but they're not like in meeting groups the way they would have been in like 1912 or whatever. Uh, so when you're looking at just the numbers at the end of the day, it's hard to just point a finger at a group when they're not really forming any kind of solidarity. That's true. And I think because a lot of this is online, um, you just can get people who are saying, like, I am the arbiter of who is and isn't a white feminist. And people aren't really somehow picking up on as viscerally the fact that the person saying it is a white woman or even a white man. Because mm. you're not really as aware if you're all online. Yeah. I read this really great article uh, you wrote, I think it was for New Republic, um, about uh, bourgeois materialism 
as it relates to feminism with the men who make a lot of money but don't own yeah. anything and yeah, instead live right. experiences, man. Yes. Uh, yes. So oh, cool. You'll make six <laughs> figures. Yeah. It sounds pretty. We're all so poor that like the idea of having money to do anything with is like, oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> the the man in the article was a, the, a pharmacist who goes out and travels the world. Yes. Well, he's in Canada, so he's got, um, you know, health care regardless. He's got the yeah. basics he's, covered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that I, was a fun article to Is write. it Justin it's, Trudeau? Yeah. It's is very good. Yeah. Justin <laughs> Trudeau. She gives him um, a now, fake name. Now I'm not going to be able to focus on what, what were we talking <laughs> about. <laughs> Sorry? I, I get, okay, so yeah. the reason I brought it up is um, the... How am I going to word this? Okay, so these problematic guys who are... You, what you argue in the article is that if you make a lot of money and are blowing it on these expensive trips, you're not any more, let's say... Uh, you're not anesthetic for not owning any goods. You're just kind of out. You're shipping off right. your your commodities, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're like having people work for you. And mm-hmm. your example was his mother does his dishes and makes his lunch. Right. He lives at home and his mother takes care of him. And he's, I forget how old he is, but he's not 17. He's, he's 30. He's, so he's an adult man. He's an adult man. <laughs> definitively adult man. And he... Um, he's so happy. It's infuriating. <laughs> he's... Yeah. He... You know, I, I think... I didn't mind that that's how he lives his life. What I minded was that he thought he was so much better than the people who waste money, such as... People such as myself on things like, you know, rent. Uh, right. Um, yeah. Um, so where, where I was trying to go with this is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am a great radio host and I'm trying so hard. Anyway, um, uh, where I'm trying to go with this is uh, the cropping up of maybe these kinds of issues of a development of morality based on, you know, ownership um, from this example of the guy spending all his money but owning very little and the morality of privilege of, you know, maybe coming from a substantive advantage in society and that being a problem we have to examine when we do politics with each other and when we engage each other are these issues that are pertaining to maybe a new form of democracy now that we have the internet and the ways we talk with each other or is this just a increase in us being aware of the inequalities in our society that's starting to bubble over and make us uncomfortable that yeah. our culture is now trying yeah. to address does that make sense it makes sense, but there's like it's very complicated. Um, yeah. Go crazy. <laughs> okay. Well, just in terms of that, um, that why I wrote that article was just that I, I'd heard often, um, you know, in real life from men who will just sort of apropos of nothing say, "I hate stuff. I don't like stuff," with a sort of implied accused, and you woman probably are shopping constantly. You know that sort of approach, um, and I had found that somewhat hypocritical because men will often spend a lot on other things um mm-hmm. but you nail it yeah. in the article by the way I'd, li- I'd really never even thought about that so that's just something that i'd sort of had you know on my mind for a while and wanted to write something about in terms of i think where it relates to privilege is a bit um that it's sort of the element of privilege checking that's like hiding your own privilege and that the man who says i don't like stuff but is going on fancy vacations and um all of that is trying to sort of hide in a sense like because he's trying to say that he's not materialistic and he's trying to hide that he's that he enjoys spending his copious amounts of money as much as somebody who spends it on more physical items he's hiding that he's incredibly materialistic he's just spending it on stuff he can't physically hold right um but Mm. the real danger of the situation is that uh, the I don't like stuff argument makes it sound like you're posing as an ascetic, which you're not. Um, and there are people who don't like stuff maybe because they've learned that they d- can't have any. Uh, and it's an incredible difference between... Well, I, think that, I don't yeah. think that that happens that often. I think if you know that you can't have stuff, at least in my experience as you know a person without the sort of unlimited money privilege or whatever you would call it, it is like, it makes stuff more appealing, I think. Mm. And I think it's people who either it's either that they're rich and they know they can have everything they want or they're getting affirmation in other ways, like cultural capital or something like that, where they're very respected for their work. And then maybe they don't care as much about stuff. 
Right. And I have heard, though, that uh, there's a point where your happiness kind of peaks uh, with oh, yeah. wealth. And uh, I mean, obviously, if you get food and shelter, that's uh, going to make the cheekbones bo- rise a little. But like that's like you can keep buying stuff and it's there, not very fulfilling. Right. Um, and that kind of gets to like I know my happiness peaks right after I made an order on stamps.com sponsor of the show. Uh, make sure to check into stamps.com and use the code left jest and you're going to get all kinds we're gonna of stamps. We're going to get sued. You can use <laughs> uh, but so um, one of the I just wanted to touch on this before. I mean, we so th- there's like uh, this idea of these sort of affluent people checking their own privilege and it becomes a very insular thing and um, they're they're aware they their kids are aware and um the people who work for them maybe a little a little aware we're all aware of this structure and it's bad it's it's well it's the way it is it's the way the world is and we just got to be aware of it so uh the point kind of has to be um to move on from that and actually do something about the structure class plays a huge role and like economics Mm -hmm. plays a huge role and something I, I, I don't know, maybe you agree or disagree. Um, it does seem like a lot of the people who are who practice privilege checking the most um, are also, you know, affluent. And also, not only that, they kind of uh, hide behind, well, that's kind of a cynical way to put it. They defend um, the sort of, quote unquote, incrementalism that we've seen especially over the Obama administration. So when we, they talk, when they are asked to confront things like econ- their economic privilege and like actually changing something, right. they say, well, you know, Dodd-Frank Act, hello. Uh, you know, they ha- kind of have th- these all these outs into these sort of like proposals and these policies that aren't actually getting to the heart of what the issue is. It's not, you know, and so um, does the answer... Would you agree that it has to be more of a, a structural, more of a class politics thing? You know, maybe, uh, dare I say, uh, socialism? <laughs> well, I do think that, um, I mean, I normally live in Canada and enjoy the socialized medicine and such. And I think college should be free. So I'm, you know, already. You're on the left fringes of America. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. Okay, so there's not really that much on yeah, but what I would say, I do really think that privilege checking has become an end in itself right. and is definitely used as a substitute for sort of as a way of deflecting sort of more material changes in society. And it's saying, look, I acknowledged my privilege. End of story. Nobody else should even criticize me because look how wonderful I am. I've acknowledged it. And then that's the end. Um, I don't think of it as a first step towards changing society. I think of it as kind of a deflection. Right. Um. Well, so here's my question. Um, then, do you see privilege as the word privilege as we're talking about it? Um, do you see it more as a rhetorical device, more than a sort of a, a, a an umbrella for a, I don't want to say a movement, but you know, uh, an I a political idea. Do you know what I mean? It's both. Okay. It's both. I mean, I think privilege is in part just a way of seeing the world where you're both looking at structural injustices and looking at the people who don't face an injustice as not sort of in a normal situation, but you're saying that they almost have too much. Mm-hmm. But it's also a rhetorical device, yeah. Okay. And can we separate, can, can those two be cleanly separated from, from the other? I mean, because I feel like one thing we're talking about, which is true, is I feel like we're, we are talking about the um, the rhetorical device, the, the rhetorical device gone awry, right? Or yeah. uh, uh, or run amok, perhaps. Mm. Um, Frankenstein's descent. <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> um, can those be fairly separated? Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, I guess so. Writing this book sort of forced me to think about that in ways I hadn't really before and ultimately I think it's a problem in the sort of structural understanding sense and in the rhetorical sense Um, I think it's better to try to remedy injustice by bringing everyone up than by sort of 
pushing people down and I also just just the whole framework for I think they're all really interconnected and they're both problems okay yeah. Uh, guys, uh, we have to round out the interview soon, so I just wanted to say, is there anything else we want to like cover about the book? Uh, we should get to it now. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that um, economics, I think, is a way to pull people in who maybe are not that sympathetic to identity politics. And again, there's the enemy is not identity politics, right? Because identities are going to be political. Um, we so, all have identities, man. Right. So the way to get because uh, if you want because there is you know a majority of people who want a more democratic society, and I would argue maybe well uh, a less racist society, a less um, patriarchal society, um, and the way to reach them. It isn't like this isn't real things are kind of stagnating now right and so um well like phoebe was saying um you have to be careful about how you're reaching out to people and that you are raising up uh some voices and not spending your, all of your time putting down others i guess uh, yeah um yeah i mean I'd, I'd like to think that everybody or not everybody but that a majority wants a, an improved society i guess uh -huh. i mean popular vote versus yeah um i think a focus on economics um yeah i think it gets us somewhere i think you can have economics and identity i think what should just be sort of set aside is um sort of pointless discussions of privilege where right. everybody involved is privileged and just trying to kind of show off that they're most self-aware right it becomes their own therapy right right and it also just kind of diverts energy from actually fixing anything mm -hmm. all right we nailed it guys <laughs> great job everyone our problems have been solved um by myself alex patak thank you uh <laughs> phoebe again for thank coming you so on the much show for having me on and tim too this has uh been great is there anything anybody wants to plug or anything uh, you have the book coming out? Yes. Which, uh, what's the Perils of Privilege. St. Martin's Press. St. Martin's Saint Press Martin's out Press. March 14th. Get the whole catalog. <laughs> when does this come out? This Next Monday. Next Monday. We are zero ahead. You got a Twitter, right? Yeah, Timothy Platt. I'm going to plug my show. Uh, I got a show coming up March 12th. Okay, Sundays. We're doing a once a month Sunday. I'm starting at the Village Lantern. It's called Garfield's Day of Rest. <laughs> like the cat because the cat hates Mondays, but of no official affiliation to the cat, that would be against the law and trespassing all kinds of trademarks owned by Jim Davis and uh, any other, you know, affiliations of Jim Davis. So nothing to do with that. Free comedy show, 6 o'clock, Village Lantern in the West Village. Bring your friends. Buy a margarita. Margs. Can I plug my show now? Please, yes. <laughs> It's called Pisces Party. I didn't put it together. It was put together by Jamie Wright, and she organized a show of all Pisces. Everyone uh, on the show is a Pisces. A great name. Um, it's on the 9th at Starbar, uh, 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 and it'll be fun. Okay, there awesome. Check it out. All right. Follow us on uh, Twitter, SoundCloud. Leave us a review on iTunes, please. Uh, that's please? been Last Jester this week. Bye. Peace out.